podcast is brought to you by Welcome to this week's episode of Watch This or Die podcast. We are thrilled that you've decided to join us again. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your host on this cinematic journey. Now, each week we will be recommending a movie to you that we absolutely fucking love. And we think you will too. So for the next hour or so, we're going to do our best to convince you to go and watch this movie. Because your life might just depend on it. Now, without further ado, the movie we are recommending to you this week is It Follows. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy, driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. <laughs> And welcome to our inaugural installment of our first annual Horror Fest. That's right, folks. It is October, and do we have an amazing slate of horror movies that we're going to talk about this month. I am extremely excited to talk with you, Mr. LaPlante, as one, I have a brand new fucking microphone, so hopefully those of you at home are noticing a difference. I'm just going to give it a sweet little slap on the ass plug. It is the HyperX USB mic. I absolutely love it already. If you can fall in love with a piece of equipment and want to make sweet, sweet love to it, this is the piece of equipment I have fallen in love with to make sweet, sweet love to. Anyone who has listened to our podcast before, the first few, we had uh, our first two, mine. I didn't sound so great. I used the AirPod Pros. Those of you who have listened to our Nicolas Cage podcast will know that I had a very big uh, problem with the AirPods. We ended up using earbuds, which sounded way better when we were doing our recordings uh, from a distance. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot since I just paid ungodly amount of money to get these stupid fucking AirPod Pros, which I do enjoy, but they suck as far as the microphone goes. So episodes three and four were recorded actually through the speaker on the front of my iPad Pro, which actually sounded pretty damn good. But I finally broke down and said enough is enough. Stop monkey dicking around, and I went out and got me this sweet-ass HyperX microphone, and I'm super excited to be using it during our Halloween specials. We have five episodes in this month that are going to be packed full of horror-esque films. Uh, nothing but horror. Not horrors. Horror films. <laughs> I am... Uh, <laughs> I'm super excited to bring Mr. LaPlante on board with this as we are going to make it all the way down. And as we talked about, our first movie of October is going to be It Follows. I am super pumped to talk about this movie. It is one of my favorite horror films, one of the best new horror films. And how do you feel about it, Mr. LaPlante, as I will now 
pause my mic so that you can talk on whatever archaic version you're using. Yeah, I mean, I'm using a Canon of string, actually, that goes from uh, here all the way to Syracuse. Um, but I cannot wait to uh, talk about this film. I fucking loved it when I first seen it. It came out in, like, March 2015, and it was actually the movie. I always try to go see a horror movie around my birthday. And this was the movie I picked uh, to go see that year on my birthday. And I fucking loved it from the moment I first fucking watched it and still love it now. I haven't watched it in a couple of years until uh, this week. And it is fucking great. It's held up. It's a fucking modern day classic. It is so good. 100% agree. 100% agree. It really is all that and a bag of chips, as the kids used to say. I don't think the kids these days know what the fuck that is. All that and a bag of chips. So without further ado, we must have just... Fucking peel back the fucking onion and dive straight into this beautiful movie of It Follows. This movie is about a young woman who is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter in David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. I need to find him. What did he really do to you? Apparently he used a fake name to rent a house in the city. This isn't real. I swear to you, this is just some game. If it kills her, it gets me. It goes straight down the line whoever started it. What exactly is supposed to be following you? I don't know. This movie came out, as Matt said, in 2015. It is written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Now, as I was doing the research for this, I I find it interesting. Lately, we've been running into a lot of directors who are almost using assassins' names. (laughs) You know what I mean? Every presidential assassin has had three names. (laughs) Now, it seems like directors (laughs) are suddenly going with the the thrice name as their their monikers. S. S Craig Zoller, (laughs) David Robert Mitchell. I, I, there's a couple others that I'm blanking right now, but it's just, it's bizarre that Nicholas Winding Refn, I mean, what's with the three fucking names? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I guess, is there another David Mitchell out there that we have to be aware of? Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should have done more research on it, but I wasn't aware that David Mitchell was already a well-known director. They're Anywho, all, they're all, I digress. They're all paying, <laughs> paying homage to the greatest, the greatest would-be actor of all time that got his debut while breaking his ankle after assassinating the president. <laughs> yeah, right, I guess. Uh, anyways, this movie stars Mika Monroe, Keir Gilchrist, Daniel Zavato, Jake Weary, Olivia Lucardi, and Lily Seppe. This motherfucker was made on a budget of only $2 million. That's crazy. It's a crazy amount of money to be made on. And it grossed 23.3. So it made a ton based on what it was what was spent on it. Yeah. And we've said in our other podcast that we used to do about Nicolas Cage, we had some conversations about movies that tanked for him that spent an exorbitant amount of money and you wouldn't even know where it went besides maybe to the actors themselves. And then you see some of these other movies, and we're going to get into a couple of movies in this month, where the budget is very small, but yet the what they made for the money they had is un-fucking-believable. It truly is. It really is. It's crazy. $21 million in the bag. So it just goes to show that just because you spend a ton of money on movies doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a fucking ton in return. Oh, no. Premium uh, little uh, example I'll give you to this film. I uh, recently watched a fantastic B-cheesy fucking movie this week called uh, The Mantio, and it was made with three 
million dollars back in 1978. <laughs> um, oh boy. And it was. It sounds phenomenal. Yeah. It was a hybrid uh, alien meets alien meets the exorcist meets fucking poltergeist body horror. Um, literally the, the, one of the taglines was like in the vein of alien. Like they, they were trying to make their alien film and just comparing, I remember, uh, <laughs> I watched this after watching it. You've sold it to me already. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. So I don't know if you ever heard of this infamous, uh, film company, AVCO em- <laughs> embassy pictures. Oh, I, whew, big fan, big fan. Yeah. Huge, huge yeah. fan. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely do not exist anymore because <laughs> the rights to this has actually been bought by two other film companies. Now, now it's, owned by anchor bay uh as of uh 2007 but it was hilarious because after watching this i watched this as a, a fun movie that i got on vhs and i was watching it and then afterwards i read that it cost three million dollars to make and i was like where the fuck did all that fucking money go um and the only thing i can assume is it went to pay tony curtis um, for all of the emotional damage he got from doing this film <laughs> and just to pay him to stay in character the entire time. Who know? Yeah, they probably made more money selling the rights to that, that piece of shit than yeah. they did in the actual release. Yeah, the, the funny uh. thing is it's based off a book too. So I wonder oh, I wonder if the wow. guy that, that sold the rights to the book made like, <laughs> like the book rights cost $2 million back then. They probably not didn't. He was surprised anyone read the fucking thing and wanted to make a book of it. <laughs> Some LSD tribute. Oh, seriously. Well, I could just I could just imagine that like uh, at the time like the Exorcist and Poltergeist and all that shit was taking off. So he was like, oh yeah, fuck. I got a horror book. <laughs> Someone's gonna fucking buy it. And they... He's probably a studio head now in LA, in, in Hollywood because the, all they do is remake shit. They just oh, yeah. remake shit all the time. Which is why us talking about this movie is so great. Is because this is a very unique film, which kind of picks from other movies. But we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. But first, we will talk about this was rating. And I'm gonna be honest, the ratings. I'm a little disappointed in them because um, I don't agree with them at all. Yeah, they're not not too favorable. Yeah, I don't. I don't hold a whole lot of um, respect to some of the ratings, because I, I do believe that there's a lot of people out there who do ratings, especially in the film world, who are just really sad little men and women who couldn't make it into film, and so when someone does do something, and uh, maybe it was an idea they have, but they didn't have the balls or the uh, ability to bring it to the screen, they get a little butt hurt and they don't like certain things. So, that's just my little take on it. Yeah. But IMDb's rating is 6.8. Mm-hmm. That's kind of low. That's one of the lowest ones we've had so far. Yeah. However, when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the, the critics there love it. They gave it a nice, a 95 critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Meanwhile, the audience score was extremely low of 66. So, the only thing I can think of is a lot of... <sighs> A lot of modern day horror fans seem to be all about these stupid rehash movies where something's possessed and they get really cheap jump scares, which are easily to tell they're coming up. It's not great writing. It's, in my opinion, very poor horror writing. Anybody can get a cheap thrill. It's almost my version of slapstick comedy where, hey, how do we, can we write anything funny? No, well, let's kick the guy in the balls or have him fall on something. Don't get me wrong. It does make you laugh because anytime someone takes a shot to the balls, it's funny. 
but it's not great writing. It's not great comedic writing. Neither is these jump scares that are suddenly, you know, pushed out as like, ooh, the horror movie. Like, the most recent doll is, is yeah. been once again. Oh, God. It's like, fuck these. What's with these fucking dolls? There's only one good doll, and that was Chucky, and that's the first one, a child's play, and that was because it was funny. He was funny as shit. Oh, We've never seen a toy come to life and talk shit to people before. Talk about a remake they fucking well, butchered. Well, I know. I know. Luckily, that's, that will not be on our podcast, folks. We're not, <laughs> no, not going to tell no. you to watch that. One last touch I want to hit with IMDb is it's always kind of bothered me with the rating system. I don't know. Um, I'm sure you noticed probably a few years ago they deleted. They used to have a, a forum on IMDb. It was really good, but there was a lot of shit on there. There was a lot of garbage. And I almost am not 100% positive I could be fact-checked for this, but... Roughly, I want to say around the time of Last Jedi, it was right around that time when IMDb announced, hey, in 30 days, we're ending our forums. They're done. Because um, at the time, people were flooding the forums with shit about... About the Asian girl who was in the movie. Yeah. yeah being racist piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. All these fucking yeah, racist motherfuckers. And on top of that, they had a ton of issues with like their forums back then as far as people just being fucking dicks and putting like spoilers in the uh, subject lines of it. So like if you were the top like one or the most recently posted one, if you scrolled down the forum, you would hit it right below like the very last thing and like you would see some there was so much garbage i had movies ruined for me because of it but i did have the, there was good parts to it there were people that genuinely went there and discussed film and like gave suggestions and i missed that part of it but it was something that again i feel like they couldn't control or moderate enough so they just had to get rid of it same thing kind of goes with their rating system here because the rating system gets... That's what happens when you let people just do whatever they want. Right. You know what I mean? That's Unfortunately, everyone always ruins it. You know, you give people some freedom and they always fuck it up. They always ruin it for someone else because everyone out there is always going to be that person who's an asshole. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it, they always fucking ruin for everybody else. Exactly. And, and again, the same thing goes to their uh, rating system on there is not, to me, is not moderated enough. They recently, over the last, like, few years, had made it so that you cannot rate the film until it releases before you used to be able to like all it took was five people to rate a film and then it started a rating system after five uh five ratings but they recently made it so that no you can't release it until whatever um the date is probably that reviews uh, embargoes end and are able to be released but they still do not control it enough. i think they should just get rid of it all together just 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 have critics rate it honestly don't yeah. i don't care what human beings have to say about it because normally even though the critics can be a bit uh bit shitty too but at least mm -hmm. at least they try to whatever their issue may be with a film at least it's about the film yeah. you know usually about the aesthetics or the inner workings of that film and not necessarily their own preconceived uh, bigotry and other stuff. So at this point, I really don't care. If people are allowed to rate their own films, start a podcast, rate yourself, just stop touching the fucking thing. That's why, you know, at least when you have Rotten Tomatoes, at least you've got the audience score and the you got critic the two. score. So you got the two. Now that we've divulged into that dark hole, we're now <laughs> going to give you the top five reasons we believe that you should see this fucking movie. The top five reasons to watch this movie. And our very first one is... Number one. It is a modern-day horror movie classic. It is a phenomenal mental horror thriller, which has become the new standard, I like to feel, with movies today, especially when you look at Ari Aster and uh, his movies. The mental thriller, I like to 
go back to like even The Shining. It's movies that get in your head where the the horror is more playing on your psyche and not like the boogeyman jumping out from behind a corner or the music gets real low and it's quiet. And all of a sudden, a cat jumps, and everyone's oh, scared and jumps yeah. or whatever. And then the next thing you know, you're stabbed, and all that horrifically cliche bad writing that is in horror films today. This, however, is not that. This takes a lot of cues from other movies, but it does it in such a great storytelling way, especially when it uses it as, you know, this movie that is really about sexually transmitted diseases in kids. This is about kids having unprotected sex and what it could do. It's one of those movies, kind of like um, Requiem for a Dream, where you see it and you really start to question if you want to do drugs <laughs> or if you want to have unprotected sex. Like, if you can see those movies and get through those movies and be like, yeah, I still want to do that stuff, then there's definitely a psychological issue with you. Yeah. But this movie hits on so many amazing levels. It's, I mean, it is a base, it's a real throwback to, to the 80s horror, but with a very modern feel to it. You know, I mean, Detroit, it's, you know, it's set in Detroit on the suburbs of Detroit, just in the outskirts of the city. And it has got, it, just because uh, the city of Detroit itself being so ravaged at yeah. the time by all the plight that it yeah. has. And then you add that with this, these elements, man, it really, it does. the whole movie, I think we talked about this, like what, what, what I forget what movie, uh, our, our second movie, when we talked about Brawl, uh, Cell Block 99, I know I remember saying to you, I never in one moment did not feel dread the entire movie. Right. Same with this one. The yeah. minute this movie starts, I am just, you're full of dread. Like you go, oh, this is not going to end well. No, nothing is going to be cheery about this movie. No. And even in the light moments, you're still filled it's with dread. Still, There's yeah, just still, always in the peripheral. Yeah, it's still just anxiety-inducing. I do feel like this was just just slightly ahead of its time with 2015 being uh, Robert Eggers' release of The Witch. And that's kind of – I think that this was like the stepping stone for like The Witch then to like shoot indie horror into like the stratosphere of like – having this big now huge following with then Ari Aster coming through with Hereditary and Midsummer, and then Robert Eggers coming back with The Lighthouse and Pantos uh, with Andy and just like it, it kind of like was just slightly ahead of its time. Yeah, and what I, what I really like about it though is of those movies you mentioned, this is the only movie that had that feel of almost being a Halloween slash Friday the 13th slash mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. You know what I mean? Yeah. It had that feel to it. Like you, it felt like you were about to get into one of those kind of movies. Whereas the other ones you talked about, they are definitely psychological thrillers, but they have these also these elements of uh, the supernatural. Even though there is supernatural in this, you feel it more in those movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you feel that supernatural. Where in this one, it had that almost slasher feel to it. It had that that someone is stalking them and trying to kill them at all times. Even though it's a supernatural version of it, it had those feelings as opposed to, you know, like you said, The Witch, where it was very satanic and, and um, feelings there, with especially with the goat. And then you've got, obviously, the same feeling with Hereditary and then Midsommar, you know, and, well, then the craziness of The, of the Lighthouse. Yeah. Um, most of these movies you're probably all going to hear about, folks. I'm just, yeah. just be honest with you. Maybe next Halloween. You never know. Exactly. What starts it is this amazing opening scene. It's just so full of, like, tension and paranormal fear. You know what I mean? Yeah. This young girl, which I found this very interesting. This young girl comes running out in high heels. I remember watching that the first time and thinking, 
why is this young girl running around her neighborhood in high heels? Yeah. I thought it was a weird choice of shoes. However, I feel like it works because when she's running around, you hear her clippity-cloppity. So we hear her. So we're always, you know, aware of her movement. Mm -hmm. And when she goes around the house, she kind of does that circle in the front yard. And she's, you know she's trying to get away from something. For, for all we know, she's being chased by bees. You know what I mean? Like, really what it kind of felt like the first time you see it. You're like, what is chasing her? You don't understand it until you get to the moment where you realize, oh, shit, she's been killed by something. And we don't know what. And it's gruesome. She's gruesome. Yeah. It's, it's fucking not pretty. gnarly. It's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a still life of a death. <laughs> It really is. Yeah, it's well, kind of like what they did in the ring when they show the girl in the closet. Yeah, it's very um, shocking, and it's not a jump scare moment. It's one of those. It it just it disturbs you on a mental and physical level that then give you this this sense of just constant dread. Like you know, from that moment on, no matter who you meet in this movie, whatever this thing is is going to try to get to these people. And you know that this is the possible outcome. Unlike other movies where like the killer you think can be killed, it feels like this in this one, <laughs> this this thing is just not uh, gonna, is not allowed to, to die or won't die, won't yeah. go away. Cause it's just persistent as all fuck. you I know I know I just wanted you and mom to know how much I love you dad I'm sorry I can be such a shit to you sometimes I don't know why I do that just know that I love you okay really love you both it really is it, it it's unrelenting but yeah no i i agree it is it is just uh it's a modern day horror classic it's it's not the popcorn horror bullshit you know with the exception of like a few of james uh james wan's uh horror films that have became like huge blockbusters outside of that i really don't like a lot of the studio produced horror minus like now Thankfully, we have people like Jordan Peele now stepping up and releasing movies and producing yeah. movies. Um, it's kind of it's shifting. Well, because those those are formulaic. You know, they're very formulaic. Those are the new ones that you've just got. Yeah. It's just it's just pick something and we're gonna make that the new. It's possession. You know, mm -hmm. either that or was remember those those camera ones where like the things would move oh, in the God, house and everything. Yeah, uh, everything. Activity everything and all that hand, shit. hand oh. camera shot or oh, fucking. God. Oh, this is fucking real. Okay, listen. The Blair Witch did it amazingly. Blair Witch did it great. Amazingly. Blair Witch did it amazing. You're never Usually gonna the be first able one to does do it that great. again. Like you can't do it. Like yeah, no. even like uh, the only one that I would say out of uh, like uh, films in that vein, horror movies in that vein that I really, really do kind of appreciate is uh, Record, not the American version, the Spanish version, um, and that's actually really cool. Uh, it's, I think it's a zombie film. But yeah, that's really good. I agree with everything that you say. Uh, I think that parlays uh, greatly into. Uh, our second reason. Well, before we jump to the second reason, I wanted to, before we jump to the second reason, I wanted to ask you a question mm -hmm. <laughs> because this this bothered me in the beginning in this movie, <laughs> no. and I'm not picking apart. What season are they in? And I'm going to explain this. When we yep. first get upon our actual 
uh, main actress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, Miss Monroe, yep. there. She <laughs> is in a pool. She yes. is in a bathing suit. She's in a pool. So it feels like either we're in late summer getting into fall, or we could be in spring going into summer. She's in the pool. Um, about a scene or two later, we see her walking with her sister, and she is in a full turtleneck dress with a winter coat on. And I was like, what fucking season is this? Is I don't even know where we are. Because then later she goes swimming again. Like, I don't know what season they're in. I don't know where we are in seasons. Because even the trees, I can't tell if they're all dead or they're just coming. Like, it's so well shot, and it gives you such this horrific feeling of dread like even everything about even the neighborhood feels dreadful yeah it does but when they're walking around i was like what fucking season is this spring fall i mean winter is it summer like it was just i i did i was not sure i i was very confused by what seasons we were in in this movie i believe uh it was uh it was fall with some bits of indian summer as they would say uh because yeah, like the leaves in the pool. It could be maybe they just opened their pool really shitty and just left the leaves in it. Or it could be it's fall and leaves are falling. Uh, as infamously uh, where, where we're located currently in the, the, <laughs> the sucky the center of New York. It's currently 50 degrees outside, so it's pretty chilly. Uh, it's not cold, but it's a little bit... Cold for early fall time, I would say. But you're not jumping in the pool. Exactly. And then wearing a fucking turtleneck sweater but dress then, the next But minute. then we know how it could go. This this weekend could be 80 fucking 5 degrees. That's it, true. It, so That's true. I, get, I mean, it is Detroit. <clears throat> it is Detroit. Maybe uh, maybe they have the same weird climate situation. <laughs> that, that They clearly do. But that we're in, uh, in upstate New York where it's like, hey, it's 80 degrees. Hey, it's 50 degrees. Hey, guess what? It snowed. Hey, it's sunny again and it's 80. That's why maybe maybe it was really they they maybe they traveled here on uh, for a scouting location and were inspired. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, another part about what makes this movie amazing is also it becomes the worst game of tag yeah. ever played. <laughs> if anyone's ever seen the movie Fallen, which is similar, Fallen has Denzel Washington in it. It's where the devil he tries to kill the devil. The devil can pass himself by touching people, uh, which is a really cool movie. And this movie. This, like as we told you in the beginning, it's about a girl who, after a uh, sexual encounter with the gentleman she she goes on a date with, she is suddenly brought into it with one of the weirdest, creepiest scenes ever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's completely consensual sex. They go out on a date on their second date, the first date, which is really cool. This is where we kind of learn it. So when we see the girl the first time, her running around, not knowing what's going on, then we realize she's killed. We don't know by what or who. <laughs> On the second, when we start to meet this girl, we realize she's going on a date. And when she goes on a date with this gentleman, they go to this uh, movie theater. And while they're at the movie theater, they decide to play a game of who would you rather trade your life with? You know, who would you rather take their place and tell them why you think that you would take their place? What is about them? And so she goes first. And so he tries to guess who she would want to take place. And he turns around in the theater and he points up towards the opening of the theater where people would come down. You know, when they used to have a theater. They don't do that anymore. Now we're no movies at all in, in New York State right yeah. now. So back in the back in the good old days when you could go to the movie theater to see a movie. And watch, um, and so watch points, Charade and from 1963 because right? that's what they're watching. <laughs> right. And he points up at her, up at this, uh, this woman who's in a yellow dress. But when he points and we take the camera view, there's no one there. And she goes, where? And he goes, right there. And she goes, where? He goes, the girl right there in the opening. And she goes, what girl? And it suddenly freaks him out. 
he suddenly doesn't feel good. His whole body and physical uh, elements change on him. He, they can't get out of the theater fast enough. You ever play the trade game? No, what is that? It's a people watching game. My sister and I used to play when we were bored. You're bored right now? No, shut up. Let me finish. Okay, how do you play? You start by watching the crowd. Casually, just go about the people around you. Okay. Now, without telling me, pick a person that you'd want to trade places with. It can be anyone for whatever reason. Okay, I got it. Okay, my turn. Okay. Okay, got it. How about the girl in the yellow dress? Where? Here. Right there. Are you teasing me? I'm oh. sorry, I just, I don't. I don't see what you're talking can we about. go? I'm sorry, I just, I just don't feel well. Can we, can we go back to the car? And so we suddenly learn that whatever it is is only seeable by these people. So on their second date, they have consensual sex in a car, and then he pre- proceeds to chloroform her and knock her out. And he then ties her to a, a wheelchair that he had in his trunk. And he takes her to this abandoned building. And while she sits there, suddenly the thing, it, that's following, makes its way to her. And it's this naked woman. And it's a very disturbing scene. Yeah. They use nudity in this as a horror element quite yeah. a bit. And it is very shocking. Like, it really is. Like, it really hits hard. You know what I mean? It really does. Like, a lot of times, it's not like in the 80s where the, the, the nudity was to lead you into like letting your right. guard down, much like the characters were. This is used intentionally to make you feel dis, you Uncomfort- know, uncomfortable. Yeah, and make it you, does. Yeah, make it, you feel anxious. The, because it's not sexy it, at all. It flips it on its head because, you know, so much of this film has to do with sex. Yes, it but does. during those scenes, there's really, there's no nudity. The only times there are is nudity in the film, it's uh, it walking towards them in this in this <laughs> yes. form um so it, it takes a very big 80s trope of you know having sex means death and nudity means death yes. where it's swapped around yes we're not gonna show gratuitous nudity during these sex scenes we're gonna make them like just not i wouldn't even say like intimate they're they're almost like awkward no, and the horrific awkward and claustrophobic yeah. and just like yeah it's like walking in on your parents or elderly parents changing kind of stuff yeah and you know good for the actors and actresses who decided to do those those scenes as it because it is yeah not easy and before we jump into our second reason the other thing you should know about the creature is when they mean it follows it will walk after you to the ends of the earth and it walks at one pace and that is just this slow just content pace of walking and it'll keep walking and it just keeps coming till it finds you and when these actors and actresses had to do it they were walking very slow naked and it you know which i think even made it creepier because you couldn't get away from you couldn't turn couldn't turn your head it was just still there it was always around you no matter what you did 
they were still there just made it creepy as fuck and it just really fucks with your it head does. because i think everyone has a bit of that <laughs> this is really going to parlay into our second one but it has that <laughs> that 1980s feel that song of like you know i always feel like somebody's watching me we always yeah. feel like someone is watching us or that paranoia of there's someone out there in the woods looking that we just can't see them because the lights are are blinding us from seeing where they yeah. are this movie you just don't know who it's going to be that's following you because it can change its form at any time it wants to whatever it wants and it does it sometimes within a matter of minutes which was again another creepy part a big thing that he took influence from coming up with the movement that the it would do uh, was from uh, creature of the black lagoon from 1954 uh, with it just being very slow moving but persistent and it's just not going to give up but it's not going to move fast because we know the creature from Black Moon did not move fucking quickly at all. Um, mostly probably because prosthetics back then like caused very limited mobility <laughs> for actors. Well, you know what it also did? It's, it's, it's a lot like like Jason, too. Jason. He walks slow in the woods and you run and you fall down and he eventually yeah. catches you. It yep. had a very feel to yeah. that, too. And, and, and Michael Myers. Which is a perfect segue to our second reason you should watch this movie. Number two. The 1980s horror movie vibe. It really is a true homage to the time and style of 80s horror genre. It really is. It has the music, the cinematography. Even though it's not during Halloween, it feels like it's at some point where we're not in summer, we're not in winter. We're definitely in spring or fall because it's either life is still dead trying to come back or life is dying in the fall. And it gives you that full dread feel. Just the skies are always overcast. It's very gray. It's very dark. But the music, too. Holy yeah. shit. The synth-inspired soundtrack is phenomenal. I mean, it feels so much like a 1980s horror. And we do get this killer, this killer that is following us, that is going to kill us no matter what happens. Except it doesn't say a fucking thing. Oh. We don't know what it is. We never find out why it is. We have an idea. we know how it's 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 passed along, but we don't know anything else about what this thing is. And I love that yeah. about it. I really do. Sometimes you don't need to know everything. Right. I just feel that way. Sometimes it's. I think it almost is more unsettling that we don't know why. You know what caused it. You know what what brought it to life. Why it's here. Why it continually goes after. And why it only seems to be going after teenagers. Again, another nod to 80s right. horror because the teenagers were always getting fucked up in these movies. You know what no, I mean? No, I totally agree. Yeah, like it, it definitely takes a, a lot of influence from a ton of different horror movies. The soundtrack, super influenced uh, by Halloween soundtrack. Uh, the tracking shot of it following its victims uh, the tracking shots they do through the neighborhood are 100% homages to John Carpenter. Even uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. You really don't know who it's going to be when it comes for you. So it, it adds into that that weird psychological body horror of The Thing of how they didn't know who was who. Like they're telling you like one of the very few rules of this thing is it could be anyone. Like it could decide disguise itself as your mother to get to you or it could be a complete fucking stranger that you've never seen before in your life so just it's it's vague yet yeah, has a few little details of rules that you do get to see certain people 
get attacked by people they know and love. Yes, yes. And then you do get to see a lot of people being followed by just completely unknown characters to them. They have no clue who the fuck they are. Or why they're there, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, it adds to it in both ways. Which is what fucks with them because when they... So, like, at one point, this little boy, uh, this young man who is their next-door neighbor watching her in the pool and likes to... <laughs> to gawk at her and probably mm-hmm. <laughs> probably whack off in the bushes while she's in the pool. Um, he ends up being one of the faces of this this paranormal, the supernatural monster that that's that's you know hunting them mm-hmm. down. And when she sees him, she knows it's him. But there's a couple of times, like especially when the boy who gives it to her, they're sitting there talking about it, and he sees a girl walking towards them, and he literally freaks out, and goes, "Do you see her? Do you see yeah. her? You're not gonna believe me." And I need you to remember what I'm saying. Okay? This thing... It's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me. And I passed it to you. Back in the car. It could look like someone you know. Or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone. But there's only one of it. Help. Help. Sometimes, sometimes I think it looks like people you love just to hurt you. So it's the moments you don't know who it is, which is really unsettling and really unnerving because what it does also as for the viewer is we sit there and we watch and we go, oh shit, who is, you know, it could be anyone who's not a main character, anyone. And sometimes it could be the main character. So it's just, it's a very unsettling, unnerving way of, of, uh, of introducing a killer, but it. The whole way they do it, being one, we're in the suburbs. A lot of the movies that happened were in the suburbs. They even introduced the camping, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the Friday the 13th. They go out to that that lake house. So that brings that element there. There's always someone chasing them down. Always. It's always teenagers. The music is amazingly set to it. And another thing it does is it plays on the fact that teenagers in the 80s in these movies were fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just stupid. No matter what people told them, they didn't listen, or they they themselves were their own uh, harm. There's an old woman at school today. She was staring at me. It was like she was following me. Did you know her? No, but she freaked me out. I didn't even go back to class. Did she say something to you? You told me that he passed it on to me. Something was going to follow me. That's all bullshit, Jamie. Yeah, I know. What exactly is supposed to be following you? I don't know. After he sleeps with her and passes it on and then ties her up and sets it up to explain everything, even waiting for it to show up so she can see it and believe him that it's coming for her, that it's going to follow her and that he can see it because if it gets through her, it's going to come after him and that she needs to pass it on. He gives her all the rules that she needs to know. 
Aldros he knows. All he knows is that the only way to get further down the line from it is to pass it on to other people through sex. Now, throughout the rest of the movie, this young girl attempts to do that, except she never ever tells the people she's having sex with or that she passes it on to the rule. She never like forces them to see it coming. So she continually does just like in all the other 80s horror movies, continually is her own fucking obstacle. She continually brings this monster back to her and quicker. This kid's safer than Mm -hmm. anyone else because this girl's working her ass off to try to keep this going. But every time they pass it and try to pass it, they never give the other people the information. And he made her sit there and watch it, not just tell her so she would believe it. And even though that scene when he does it can feel a little rapey, it's really well done. It's amazing how he does it, but you can understand why he did what he had to do because there's no way she would believe him that this is what's going on. So he had to force her to believe it. And it's a big, you know, it's definitely a huge nod to those 80s movies with all, besides all the, you know, the the thematic elements, just even the old playing on that teenagers make terrible decisions and usually wind up dead because of how dumb of the, their decisions truly can be. No, yeah, they really, <laughs> that, that, that does, that hits it right on the head. I just want to touch on a few little things here with the whole like 80s horror vibe. Firstly, with her name being Jay, uh, with Miss Min- uh, Monroe's name. I don't know. I apologize if you're married. <laughs> I didn't look into that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, her name being Jay, her unsaid name is actually Jamie, who she is named after Jamie Lee Curtis, the Scream Queen, arguably easily that award can be handed to her i think by anybody uh for famously appearing in the original halloween and halloween 2 and now in uh david gordon green's two oh th- trilogy that he's uh currently making he's made one so far another director with three fucking names <laughs> yep there we go another one another three just, named just, just when you just when you thought there wasn't <laughs> any more you, <laughs> there's one more apparently if you use three names you have one of two things that happen for your life you either are assassinating people <laughs> or you're, or you're, you're making a good movies di- you're it's a good the director. only two things you can do <laughs> oh man and then yeah like um to compare it, yeah, like even more to um, Nightmare on Elm Street, like it's a group of kids fighting against an, an evil uh, villain, like this, like an unstoppable villain. Like they, they don't know. In that movie, they know the rules. They can't fall asleep. That's their only rule, really, is not falling asleep. Um, but it is. And they do everything they can to fall asleep in those movies. Too. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a total nod. Like, no matter what, they're always staying up late. They're always doing the stuff that would make you fall yeah. asleep. They're constantly doing things to fall asleep. I mean, they're falling asleep in fucking yeah, class. It's ridiculous it how easily yeah. they fall asleep. And then uh, the last thing uh, with uh, the same character with Jay, a lot of her character's uh, resemblance is to Roman Polanski's uh, main character in Repulsion. And that movie is about a sexually repressed woman who disapproves of her sister's boyfriend uh, and sinks into depression and has horrific visions of rape and violence. David did a lot of horror movie uh studying before making this film there's a lot of the list goes on i could sit here and and just talk about several more references uh, that he makes to other uh horror movie classics and even some really uh campy movies from the 70s uh horror genre 
could go on all day uh, about all that, but he definitely, he did his work uh, constructing this film. Well, one of the great things he does do is uh, this camping scene we're talking about where the girl and her friends go all the way out to this lake house and eventually the thing shows up. And it's really where the friends notice that uh, this thing's real because it sneaks up behind her, grabs her by the hair, and in a great scene we see her her hair being pulled, but there's nothing there pulling it. And some boy that she's kind of... Or I should say, who's really got the, the yeah. hots for her, hits this thing, swings a chair at the air, hits it, the chair breaks, and the thing just knocks, you know, yeah. you just see him get thrown across the flying. screen. <laughs> yeah, and so she's shooting at it, and a whole bunch of stuff happens. But what ends up happening is she ends up running away, stealing, a, taking one of their cars and crashing it, and then she goes to the hospital. And what I love that what this director did is, is a lot of times in horror movies, our hero or the you know whether it be male or female is stuck somehow where they they're unable to move and we hear sounds coming towards them and you wonder oh shit is it, it here it comes or it usually leads to a jump scare what i loved about what he did in this movie is she's laying there in the bed she knows what's coming and she hears high heels coming down the hallway and she's not sure if it's a nurse a doctor or if it's it Everyone else in the room is asleep, and she is so paralyzed with fear. She can't move. She can't talk. She just We just get back from her, cut from her face to the door opening, from her face to the door opening. And in most movies, what would end up happening is, you know, we'd have some kind of like, the sound would stop. We wouldn't hear the, the footsteps anymore, and she'd be like, oh, phew. And then all of a sudden, it'd be like, she'd turn her head, and boom, the thing yeah. was there, and jump scared. Like, ah, some bullshit. But we don't get any of that. We just get this nurse walking by. But the entire you feel tense yeah. the entire time, like you're not sure if it's coming, and there's and she's stuck in this bed and she can't go anywhere. So even if it comes, there's nothing she can do. She's pretty much fucking dead meat, and she realizes that her decisions are so bad that she keeps getting herself in these positions where she's basically a sitting yeah. duck. But I loved how he used those tropes. Those he set us up for thinking, oh, here comes you know, here comes a jump scare. Here comes the thing we always know is going to happen. And he just played with your mind. He put you in her position and let your mind run wild with what was coming. And it ended up being nothing. But the entire time you're sitting there, you're just as tense as she is. And I thought that was absolutely just a brilliant piece of writing and also of acting and filming that they set us up for that. Because, again, he obviously is a student of horror yeah. movies. But instead of, kind of like what we talked about Quentin Tarantino, instead of, you know, you, you know just trying to do what he's seen and, you know, do the same thing but make it better, he's taken what he's seen and he flips it on its ear and sets us up for thinking, oh, we know what's coming, and then being like, nope, you don't know what's coming. And that's what I really liked about this movie, which is why I feel it's such an amazing movie, is... It, it's not the same old horror movie. It's not the same old bullshit. You know, it, you know, like you said, when there's sex in most of those horror movies, there's gratuitous nudity. We know what's going to happen. In this one, there's some sex, but we don't really ever see it. It's all under the covers or hidden in the car. We never actually see any real sex scenes. It's, you know, very almost PG-13 if you want to get to that point. When we do see nudity, it is used in a way to make us very unsettled, to make us feel very not at ease, some dread. Just we want to turn our head away from it, but it won't let us. It's it's used for a purpose. And where he learned and you know saw what he used to love, to turn it on its ear and throw it back at us, it, it, it's just that's what makes this a top-notch fucking horror film that is just, you know, a head and shoulders above a lot of those stupid fucking possessed <laughs> movies and all the other bullshit. It really, really is. Yeah. 
You know, uh, the, the actual concept of this came from a reoccurring dream uh, the director was having uh, where he'd be stalked by a predator that continually walked slowly towards him. I, that's, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you think about that. What if you couldn't move? Yeah. Nothing worse than seeing something come right at you, you know? It's that... It's almost like it, it's like being stuck in the ocean and seeing you're in water and you see a fucking dorsal fin coming mm-hmm. towards you. That you're paralyzed with fear. You can't. Yeah, you, yeah, you're yeah. in the shark's territory. You're not going anywhere, and you know it's just basically you're stuck there. And that's kind of what this movie is like. It's like you're stuck in this movie where no matter what you do, someone or something's coming for you at all times. You just don't know who or when they're going to show up, and it really does fuck with your head. Oh big yeah. Time. And what I also think uh, this throws into some of the 80s is I also like that he used, he put a bunch of like B-movie, old school sci-fi B-movie uh, and horror movies that these kids were watching. I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of a nice nod because it does feel like an 80s movie. Because back in the 80s movies, when you saw kids watching, it would be the old horror yeah. movies because that's what they had. Obviously, they didn't, you know, the kids wouldn't be watching Friday the 13th and stuff. So I thought it was a nice nod that he would also throw those in. Another nod towards these 80 movies, which a lot of people would be like, huh? Why is that in here? But, you know, if you're a fan of the 80s and the horror movies of that time, it just feels like it's, I mean, you really do feel like if this movie was released in 1985, it would fit perfectly. Yeah. Except it would it would, it would, would have changed the genre completely because, oh, you know, it. we would have gotten a better uh, killer than just, you know, the same old Michael Myers, Freddy, and uh, Jason movies that just keep yeah, coming out and coming out. This would have threw the 80s on its head. <laughs> That's going to lead us to our third reason that you should watch this movie. And actually, it's an audible reason. Number three. It is Disaster Pieces' amazing 1980s-inspired synth soundtrack. It's up the tension. It sets the mood. There, there's no happy music in it. I'm gonna let you know no. that. This is as if this is like a Nine Inch Nails synth album. It's just dark and foreboding, but yet it has so many moments of just with the synth work that they do. It has a bit of that Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, um, arpeggio uh, keyboard uh, thing yeah. that it does. There's, it just really adds. It's a character in and of itself. Like it really it is. Totally moves this movie. Without that music, the movie is not as good. It just isn't. Like it's an instant classic as far as a soundtrack. Oh go. yeah. It just they don't throw. I, don't, I can't remember if they throw any real songs in. To be completely honest with you, but I know with this one, it just the, the soundtrack itself is worth just getting it on uh, Apple Music. It's fantastic like it really especially if you're going to have something coming for halloween you want to have some mood music for your halloween uh party use the it follows soundtrack yeah. because disaster piece did an amazing job with it it's it's a it's a classic instant it classic. is it's it's fantastic disaster piece uh is great they actually i wish i got to see them they uh toured not long after the release of this and played the soundtrack and something i'm disappointed that i, I missed out on what's pretty fucking incredible is that they completely composed this entire score in three weeks less than three weeks which is impressive for them to score an entire hour and 40 minutes 
in less than three weeks. It's it's crazy. It really is. Yeah, like it's fantastic. You can see they take a lot of influence from John Carpenter's '80s synth-heavy music throughout all of his '80s films, with starting way back in the '70s with you know with uh, Halloween, and then oh my god, his synths in The Thing and in uh, <laughs> fucking Escape New York, even. Big time. I, yeah, I was thinking, well, obviously, because Carpenter also did Halloween. It definitely had a very Big heavy Halloween. John yeah. Carpenter-infused Halloween slash Escape from yeah, vibe like, to it. Yeah. Very, very much so. Like, huge. I agree. I mean, and they've done a bunch of other movies, and they've done a bunch of other video game stuff. They even uh, did a song for an Adventure Time yeah. episode. So they've done other things. They scored his David, uh, other movie, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, they scored that, and they did a great job with that score. And they did um, a movie that came out on just uh, Netflix. They did the Triple Frontier. Yeah. So they definitely have a range, but, man, this one is... It is. It's yeah. amazing. It really top, is. Top notch. It, yeah, to beyond top notch. It was almost. I felt when I first saw it, you know, because uh, Quentin Tarantino um, used some uh, Morricone uh, music for his movies before yeah. he actually got him in to do his own. So he would steal bits and pieces and, and put them in there. And this kind of had that feel. You know what I mean? I thought, oh man, they stole. You know, there's some music they took from other other movies of the '80s and they put this together. I, you know, the first time I heard, it, I was like, man, that, that's really cool. Like they were able to repurpose music. That's my feeling. And then to find out that there's an actual band named Disaster Piece that actually put this together was kind of mind-boggling because they hit this on the head. Sometimes movies and their soundtrack are married together, and this one is married together. One would not exist right. without the other, in my in my personal No, opinion. I agree. Nobody else could have uh, fit into this perfectly like this. You know, obviously, I really feel like uh, David and Disaster Piece really, like, came to, like, a mutual bond uh with him showing them the film and them saying like hey this is what we think we want to do and maybe him providing some suggestions and it just took off from there and it was a perfect marriage oh god yeah it's just phenomenal 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 work by them it was amazing i mean there's a scene when they are going to confront this monster which we'll get into in a few minutes and they go to this pool this yeah old it's like a basically looks like a rundown yeah. pool that would be a neighborhood yeah. pool, you know, like a, like a YMCA pool. Yeah, pool that's rundown but still has water in it and running, yeah. running electrical <laughs> and lights. I did, I did think that was weird. Yeah, I thought. I, yeah, I was like, oh, it's run down, but yet the pool looks like it's been cleaned Especially every day. Especially when they talk anyways, about how like, everybody yeah. go, goes there, like it's the spot, and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's where I got my first kiss, and oh, that's where I drank my first yeah. beer. And you're like, you're thinking yeah. you go into this like dilapidated like pool, and it's like, yeah. oh, no, it's, it's, it's just the why that like closed, and like they don't police it at all. <laughs> like It's just like... Again, it's just, it's but it's they fucking, hired someone to come and uh, clean it every day. It, the thing is spotless. It's cleaner than most people's pools. It's like crystal clear. It's that Kudos amazing. to the fucking homeless guy that lives in there that deals with all these <laughs> shitbag teenagers that come in and trash his fucking place, and then he cleans the pool for them, and then they fucking leave, and he goes back to bed, and he gets up, and they fucking trash it again. Well, what I love about it is they set it up so when you come to it, like just the way they set up, they made the pool. Because it's behind, it's like a probably could a couple hundred yards behind this fence, and it has this very haunted house vibe to it. What helps it is obviously the music that's going along with it. Like it just really sets it up. Like you've just come upon. It's almost like when they come upon you know Freddy's house on uh, on Elm Street. You know what I mean? It's got yeah. that feel to it. Yeah. Like, like you're going, you're going into some place you shouldn't go yeah. into. You know, it, I mean, it's behind a fence. 
it's on the wrong side of the of the streets in um Detroit like their parents have always warned them about not going to and here's this just ominous looking building and even as they walk through it's almost got like this cavernous feel to it like they're lowering themselves down to the depths yeah when they walk out of the pool it's a little weird but that's that crystal clear and clean but everything about it just that scene is really helped set up besides the great visuals they do with that music they just really married them together well and you're like man you just you just have this like oh man i don't think we should go in this pool yeah you know what i mean like you just go no it's not gonna be a good idea not at all all these shots like even knowing you know there yes you're you're kind of in a you're in an enclosed space they know there's only like one way in one way out but even yeah like when it zooms in like on her she's in this vast pool but it's still so fucking claustrophobic it's still just like well yeah because she puts herself in it and now she's in the water so now she's like insulated herself even further in like i mean if you think about this starts off with her in this expanse of the city the pool area the pool itself the building looks like it's forever away and it's behind Mm -hmm. a fence and then they keep you know crossing these barriers they get themselves closer and closer and closer to bring themselves into a place where they're also trying to to trap the this monster but it really it's the music yeah, that it does. really pushes all yeah, this it along does. it's it's a phenomenal phenomenal from the right from the start with the opening and the music there like it it sets up that claustrophobia and dread uh with it and it just it stays on pace throughout the whole fucking film i mean who knew that the synth of the 80s especially you know through the carpenter film stuff would really it just has this dreadful sound to it sometimes it can really uh, evoke such an emotion of unease you know what i mean like it's not the kind of thing that if someone starts playing at a at a, at a party you're like oh wow we're gonna get on with some chicks tonight because it doesn't it doesn't lead itself into anything happy you know what i mean no one's dancing to this kind of music you're like oh i think we're gonna go murder somebody yeah right exactly now. that's what it's like oh do you feel like stabbing someone to this music because it's fitting well that'll lead us to our fourth reason that you should watch this movie number four and that is the movie's very coy underlying message about unprotected sex can kill you especially for teens this movie is basically a psa about wearing a fucking rubber it truly is the only way that you can have this creature follow you is if you fuck somebody who has already had it passed on to them this is this is the worst herpes ever this is herpes d this is herpes death this will just fucking kill you Obviously, it's a cautionary tale, and unfortunately, I highly doubt anyone who saw the movie was like, oh, well, I better have protected sex <laughs> No. But that's exactly what this movie really is yeah. about. It's about, hey, wrap your shit up, pal. It is. You know what I mean? Get yourself protected, because otherwise, otherwise, you're going to get fucked, because yeah. you always have it from now yeah. on. And, th- and that's really the whole message is, like, no matter what you do, it's with you. you will have this with you your yeah. entire life, and eventually, it's going to kill you. You guys should get in the water. 
You want it? Maybe in a little bit. Come on. That's that. Yeah. It's <laughs> just that is that. You're going to be killed by this thing. It's crazy how good it is, though, that they it do this. It is super, super smart. Um, it's it's just, yeah, it really is a big PSA. I actually, um, surprise, hint, hint, by the time you hear this episode, I am going to actually publish a PSA from this film that was made by this film about unprotected sex. Oh, all right. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell everybody that you have a sexually transmitted disease, and you may not make it through the <laughs> October. And I may have to, I may have to audition a second yeah, you're, you're co-host. Pull a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Matt Matt has its follows. It's it's yeah, got him. He's, it's he's got done. Me. It's uh, it's out there. There's uh, currently two to my sons in the house two times. So I just like put them together. It's the, so now I have twins. Um, <laughs> and I just, I, they just play together and I just stay at a social distance. I socially distance myself just enough to keep myself from being killed by it. Um, that's all. But yeah, I will be uh, publishing a, a infamous uh, PSA that they made uh, on our social media uh, as a little tease for people uh, prior to them getting to hear this. Um, but yeah, it's a great like underlying message at the same time. It is just a total play on 70s and 80s horror being that. In those horror movies, if you had sex, you died. Famously, you know, those uh, rules are reiterated yeah. by, fuck's his name, the comedian there uh, in Scream. Uh, it was not David Arquette. Jamie. Is his name Jamie, too? Yeah, oh, I think so. Yeah. But yeah, he, he talks about Jamie Lee Curtis and about yeah. how, oh, you know, she didn't die in Halloween 1 and Halloween 2 because she didn't have sex like she didn't show nudity and all this stuff it's a great smart way of just playing on like the tropes of the 70s and 80s horror genre where you know it's these young lovers out in the woods or in a cabin or their parents are gone for the weekend or the night and they invite somebody over and then they have sex and then oh guess what the serial killer that's in town <laughs> that they weren't listening to the fucking radio while they were drinking beers uh, and uh and having sex yeah guess what he accidentally walked into this house uh because it was owned by his great great grandfather and he's coming back for some documents that he he needs and you're here, so he's going to fucking kill you. Or they're always at some horrible camp that, that should be condemned. And they find they decide that some girl is somehow giving up on her own self. Yeah. And she decides to have sex with one of these douchebags in some horrible shower. And you know right away one of them is they're both dying but it's usually the girl it, well it depends sometimes it used to be like now it feels like the man was then yeah. killed so that we could see her run around naked for a few minutes before she got killed but but it didn't use the unsettling fucking uh nudity that we now have in this yeah. one which it's i mean the most unsettling one for me it was there's two of them the first time the creature the supernatural creature is in her house and almost gets her when you see that girl who's like her, one of her boobs is, is hanging yeah. out, and then she starts to urinate. Like it is so unsettling. Very. It just mentally fucks with you. And to me, I always love mental horror way better than bullshit jump scare horrors. If I haven't said that enough already, I, it just plays with your mind. Like it, you really start to your head starts to go places, and it's just so unsettling. Like 
Oh. And then the old man standing naked the on roof. top of it, which I know yeah. is your favorite scene. The roof scene, scene so fucking <laughs> But creepy. the fact that he just stands there, oh, he's just staring at you. And all his sag, and you're just like, oh. There's just so much. Oh, How'd that motherfucker get up it's there just, so quick? Oh. <laughs> I know. That's dangerous. Like he's definitely gonna definitely gonna chafe a nut. <laughs> yeah, he will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will be following a little bit slower. It, it might. Uh, it might. Uh, you know, metamorphose into a female <laughs> after that uh, fall from that roof. <laughs> he did. He inspired me though. When I'm in my seventies, I'm just gonna fucking stand naked <laughs> on top of a roof too. I don't care. That's that's what I want to do. I'm just gonna let it all hang out and not give exactly. a fuck. Exactly. Because <laughs> I just that's going to. Because it's, no one's gonna want to come tell me to come down and put my no. clothes on. It's very unsettling. No, not at all. If if you're a hot person and you're standing up there, people are like, oh, I'll definitely go up there. But if it's like some old guy standing up there with his dick and balls hanging down between his knees and he's just cussing at people yeah. and stuff, no one, <laughs> they may just shoot me oh, off yeah. the roof at that point. <laughs> they may. They may. But yeah, no, it, it is, yeah, the, the nudity, again, with the whole uh, underlying sex in this, uh, there being no sex, uh, well, no nudity during the sex scenes uh, is great. And only using nudity uh, for uh, this unkillable monster coming after him really kind of like drives it in there for like, you know, this underlying message of like, it's almost like you're, it's following you naked sometimes to remind you of like, remember how, yeah, what yeah, you've done. remember how you got me? <laughs> like, I'm, he I'm well, here now. It also then makes these characters' sexual appetite one of survival. Yeah. It's no longer about, you know, enjoying sex or having sex because that's what you want to do. It's about survival. It is. It's all, yeah, it's all about survival. Especially when, I mean, <laughs> we're not going to give anything away here, but when she has run away for a little bit and decides to spend the night somewhere else. I, I almost I almost felt like she was giving up like the girl in the, the beginning. The girl in the beginning knew it was coming mm -hmm. for her. Um, the girl knew she was going to continue to be chased. She knew that they only that at this point she was just like fuck it I, I just don't want to keep doing this so she drove someplace and then gave her basically gave herself up to it and just waited for yep. it to come I felt like our hero here did the same however when she wakes up and she's still alive and she hears some people in the distance and she walks out on the beach and sees that there are three young guys out on a boat fishing or doing whatever and she decides that she's going to swim out there to have sex with them probably have a train run on or whatever i mean whatever horrible thing as a father you can think that your daughter would do this is what you think and that she did that only because she wanted to buy herself more time yeah. which is all she did she just bought herself more time because what she ended up doing is basically passing out of those three guys and they probably because a couple of days later it's right back after her so they died again quickly because again like we said earlier these kids make horrible decisions mm -hmm. They never tell the person what's going on. And they just swim out there and they have sex with people. And then they don't tell them, hey, you know what? You're going to want to have sex with other people and pass right. along. Yeah. You they know? But it was just that total mind fuck that she would swim out to a boat of guys she doesn't yeah. know. Allow them to have their way with her and then swim back and then drive home. And just, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, and she's man, just, it's, it's brutal it was, the it way it cuts like, from just her swimming out there to the drive home of her being just emotionally devastated about uh, the, the acts that she's had to commit to just try to protect herself now, which is, it's hard to watch. It's not an easy, it's not an easy watch and they no. don't show anything for the most part. No, it just shows her taking her shirt off with the swimming suit yep. underneath. And swimming. And then it shows her with wet hair 
in their car mm-hmm. driving back and just that look on her face and we all know what yeah. happened we, there's nothing else needed to be said and it's just like man it's a mental fuck because I mean think about it if it was you or me trying to do that right if I swim out to a boat full of girls there's a real good chance they're gonna tell me to go fuck myself like there's a really high chance that I, I'm not just swimming out to a boat getting on a boat and going hey ladies let's fuck that's like some kind of bad porn you know what <laughs> I mean is. that's not happening are However, you Dirk Diggler? Sadly, well, sadly, if a girl does it, you know, I, I, I wish it wasn't like that, but I'm pretty sure that three guys, especially in their late teens, early 20s, who are all hanging out together, being a bunch of bros, you know, pounding some beers. If a girl shows up and says she wants to have sex with them, they're going to fucking probably do yeah. it. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, it's more likely it's going to happen. And it's just a total mental fuck up really to is. get yourself into that, into that thought process of how she would do it, how she would like let herself just... You know, get to, to get to herself to a mental state to go out there and do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whew, it's it, it really does fuck with you, which is why it makes this movie so amazing. Because again, it's a mental yeah. horror. It really gets inside your head, and once it's inside, it really stays there and fucks with you the entire fucking it does, time. It, it gets it follows into your head and it stays there. And it's yeah, it's so so fucking good the way that yeah, and just so many so much of like a one eighty from the traditional. 80s horror and taking that influence and just turning it on its head using it to create this fantastic fucking film i want to ask you one quick question yeah so because when we talk right now because we're talking about you know exactly those three douchebags on the boat who <laughs> yeah, all met yeah. untimely deaths that they deserved i'm sure well i mean they're douchebags but at the end to be fair to them they were just out there not looking for anything you know what i mean they're just out in their boat enjoying a nice afternoon in the fall winter spring or summer <laughs> whatever, whatever fucking, fucking season. season it was and suddenly this girl comes swimming out to them and saying hey do you want to have sex and it, they're probably like this is the greatest day of our life. Like, this is stuff that we thought never happened. It was only in stupid porno films or older brothers who would tell us bullshit stories. All of a sudden, some mermaid swims <laughs> up to you and is like, hey, you want to bang me? And they're like, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it had to be like, sure, they're douchebags. But at the same time, they weren't being douchebag, I guess, is the fairness mm-hmm. to say. Like, they weren't looking to bang a chick. They were just out there fishing. <laughs> Maybe they're going to bang each other. I don't know. But they weren't <laughs> looking for a woman to swim up to them and offer them unsolicited sex. <laughs> That's true. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you can think off the top of your head, what is your favorite death of a male douchebag character in a slasher film? Because I can tell you mine right now. Oh. It's, mine's Kevin Bacon, Friday the 13th. Hmm. Man. Oh, man. I have to really think about that. Favorite Douchebag. I think he might take the he might he might take the cake for number one slasher film douchebag death with the arrow through the throat underneath the bed. Uh, listen yeah, to, yeah. Listening to his headphones, all fucking cocky because he's just got laid and then dead. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. It's it's tough because I'm trying to think about the movies I've seen where I really enjoy the douchebags dying, <laughs> and usually it's it, it <laughs> usually they unfortunately last longer than yeah they really than do you forget about them they really do because they're there to antagonize you obviously I'll think about it maybe I'll come up I'll I'll try to answer that in another podcast because I honestly don't know so we'll go with your Kevin Bacon yeah, one it's a great one it's a great one my question for you is did you notice. <laughs> My one of my favorite little scenes in the movie, or just these little little moments that they throw things in. It was, you know, obviously it's a little bit humorous if you pay attention to it. But when they try to track down the guy she slept with, and they go to this uh, this place that uh, he says he's at, and they realize it's one of the uh, neighborhoods in Detroit, which is pretty much all abandoned. Mm-hmm. 
and they go in and they and you kind of see what he was living like he had the windows boarded up he had yeah you know rigged all kinds of things to be here yep and then up at the very top where, where he was sleeping at the very top of the building there was that a horrible mattress on the floor and a bunch of porno mags did you notice all of the cum rags that he had <laughs> so around gross. him like that just it just shows you that man we really are fucking disgusting here he is knowing and that something is trying to kill yeah. him. But it doesn't stop him from just jaying yeah. one out just a couple of times while he's awaiting certain yeah. death. It's just, uh, it's like, it's just the psyche of men. It's like, even the face of certain deaths, like, you know, I have time to get one yeah. out of here. You know, I want to rub this exactly. thing out. You know what I mean? I got to make sure the prostate's healthy just in case I survive. He's got to relieve some stress, man. It's stressful times for him. <laughs> It was one of my favorite little moments in the fucking movie. That was a good one. Uh, a little tiny weird uh, moment of mine that I liked in it is the the clamshell uh, like cell phone book reader. Yeah, the clamshell smartphone. It was so cool. I was <laughs> that like, was, I loved it. It was cool, but yet it's the most useless fucking yeah. thing ever. Like, who the fuck would want that? Like, it's like you're reading it on two different screens. Yeah. It was just like it seems the weirdest, very difficult. It's the weirdest like, thing. This is yeah. the, it was like, the shitty. It's the zoom of iPads. Yeah. <laughs> this was the shittiest nook ever made. Do you want to read your book on two screens? Just kind of. I'm just glad. <laughs> vertically. I'm glad it never caught on. <laughs> oh well, that's going to lead us to our fifth reason you should see this movie. Number five, and that is the unkillable monster slash monsters. Uh, this psychological horror and paranoia induced by the fact that there's this unrelenting monster who all it's going to do is kill you. And you cannot kill it. You cannot kill it because it's basically a disease. You basically have passed it on and it's coming for you. You can prolong your life by the more people you have sex with and pass it to them. As I said before, this really horrible game of tag. <laughs> really, really yeah, bad game the of worst, tag. The worst game of tag ever. And the only way to ensure your survival is not only to pass it on more and more but it really is unfortunately when you've tricked this person into having sex with you or not tricked them but didn't really uh disclose that you have this disease which is what happens a lot of times in life anyways is that if you don't tell them what's now following them and what they need to do you are ensuring a life of nothing but paranoia and death like i told you all you can do is pass it along to someone else. I'm not safe either, okay? If it kills her, it gets me. It goes straight down the line to whoever started it. It's just coming for you. It's not going to stop. And I love that it's unkillable. I love, in the 80s horror, you know, everyone was killable eventually. Well, they never really died. They came back for the sequel all the time. But Jason, you'd get him. You'd get Michael Myers. You would kill Freddy. you kill fucking... Chucky, all, all yeah. Candyman, whoever it is, they all yeah, died. They, you know what I mean? They died. Or they then, seemed to yeah. die, and then we found and a way to bring them back. And got added to their lore that then built it into the next one and so on and so forth. Yeah, like, oh, you killed him with the blue marble. What you didn't know is that blue marble is one of the things that would bring him. It's like, all right, whatever. At least in this one, they don't they don't toy with us with that. They basically, when you are given this special treat, it will now hunt you down until it kills you. And when it kills you, oh, man, you get to see two people die from this. Others die off screen that we know have died because obviously it keeps coming, making its way back to our main characters. The young girl in the beginning of the movie, we get to see the remnants of what happened to mm -hmm. her. We do get to see the first person that our main character passes it to, which is her neighbor across the street. She passes it to him, and eventually 
he is attacked by who he thinks is his mother, and she has to see That's this. fucking brutal. And she tries to save him from it. It is brutal. Great, watch out! It's this weird, violent sexual raping that happens to him. It's it's weird. Like his mother, it's you know what made it very disturbing. This is probably I forgot about this. Maybe this may be the yeah. most disturbing nudity. So he answers the door, and his mother, the person who you know says his mother, standing there, and she's got one tit yeah, out. She's just like nude underneath her nightgown, and one tit is out, and it's just disturbing because this is mom. Like it's just like there's nothing sexual. Well. Unless you're a fucking degenerate, which I'm sure there are some mm. who are out there who really enjoyed the movie because of this. But there's nothing about the nudity in this movie that makes you get aroused in any sort. It's just, you're almost like, oh, put it away. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't want to see it. It's so bad. It's so just you know, unsettling. I've said it a thousand times. But nothing about it makes you go, you know, like in the 80s ones, it'd always be some hot chick getting, you know, having sex. And you'd see her boobs and they'd be bouncing. And as a young kid, you're like, yeah, boobs. Not in this movie. You're not like, yeah, yeah. boobs. You're like, oh, boobs. You almost, it's almost like yeah. the reverse you're reaction. Like, oh, God oh damn boobs it. again. Not again. Oh, vagina. Oh, his penis. You're like, oh, it's just no. ruining. You're like, I God don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> exactly. This is all bad. Exactly. It's just bad. Yeah. You're not taking a girl to see this movie and then going home and scoring no. later. Like, it just really, it's a real mood killer. Time. Right you out the gate. You fucked up hard when you're taking this movie ahead of time. Yeah, no. Um, the only thing to add to that scene. Uh, we don't see really anybody else uh, like af- like in the immediate aftermath of their death outside of like the you know the girl in the beginning really you, you're, you're kind of yeah. showing her. Um, what it kind of led me to believe is that these characters, these people, they die once it does get to them. It actually kills them brutally, like through like this like act, even if it's not trying to have sex and kind of just grinding on them that that's the way it does murder them like almost as like a a, a reverse oh, yeah. like yeah. like a, a a remembrance of like hey this is why i'm here yeah yeah you're 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 gonna be you're almost i mean i don't want to use rape but it's basically it it's a very it rape. you are basically raped to death, to death. Yeah, that's that's kind of what after like very quickly yeah. too it like absorbs yeah, your like life sucks it's up, crazy it, it absorbs like, your it just life and stuff. sucks yeah. your life out of you and like like breaks your limbs and like just violently like murders you uh, while doing this but yeah this unstoppable entity is amazing outside of the naked man yeah, it's, it's always stalking yeah. you and like there's literally nothing you can do about it like they do a great job of setting up some shots in the movie so where good. we as the audience know it's coming and we see it especially after you know they kind of tease it with us the one time the the old lady kind of follows her into the cl- into school and we see her walking from across the hall mm-hmm. you know what I mean from across out yeah. the window walking towards her and they do a great job of camera work a couple of times where they do this 360 spin they keep spinning around so that you kind of watch the characters walk off to something but then you come back to see that the creature's getting closer it oh it's very unsettling it, it kind of dizzy yeah. it, it throws you off balance but it's a great way of setting up that you know shit is bad and that that something is coming and as the as the viewer, I think it fucks with us more than even the people in it the does. movie 
who are being chased because we know it's coming and there's no, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And it doesn't like, except for the one time, like the first time you see them, the lady, she's an old lady in a nightgown. So you know immediately. But in the one scene I'm talking about, remember when they went to the school to, to find out who this kid yeah. was? And they do that 360 pan, they're in the, they're in the, the mm-hmm. main office asking who he is in the thing. And you see the girl with the backpack walking slowly towards them. Even in that moment, she's so blended in. If it had gotten close enough, it would have killed them easily. They had no clue. That's like when that kid's sitting there and he gets put like, do you see that? Do you see that? Yeah. Like he he's not sure because it blend it can also camouflage itself really well. So it has moments of, you know, basically almost being very demonstrative and showing you that it's there and then other moments where it just blends in and just kind of starts to sneak up on you which is what i love about it it's just absolutely crazy that you just never know what it's going to do or who it is or where it is so even in the movie when you're watching it you're never even sure the characters that are on screen with her aren't the creature yeah no not at all one of my favorite and most like the just horrifying and creepy fucking versions of it in it is michael lanner uh the seven foot seven detroit resident that designs engine for (laughs) engines for general motors when he comes through the fucking door jesus fucking christ if that man ever walked through any fucking doorway in my house i am never gonna come back on that fucking house again well i think what the great thing is that he comes down this very tight hallway Mm -hmm. and then has to duck under the door and around that girl yeah you see this giant presence coming and it's just ah I, 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 it's hard to explain without watching but when you see it just his giant size and very few people maybe who have listened to this have ever been in a space where there's someone seven foot plus in front of them you know what i mean like a shack type person so when you see this giant like human being suddenly towering in your hall and, and coming at you it's very disturbing. Yeah. Like, it really throws you off because moments earlier, we saw this girl who looked like there was all kinds, she had all kinds of issues. Her breast is hanging out. She's pissing herself. We're like, yeah. what is happening? She chased you. Then all of a sudden, there's this giant coming after you. They do such an am- amazing job of keeping you off yeah. balance and giving you different mental horrors. You know what I mean? Like, almost playing with psychological fears that you may or may not have in the audience. Oh, yeah. It really does a great job of just. You know, tapping into your psyche and trying to fuck with you and try to hit the right buttons to fucking really unnerve you. No, yeah, it really does. Uh, One last thing that I'll add here, too, is that it just, when uh, she is being chased, uh, the way it goes, the camera changes the point of view of who the camera is viewing from the eyes of, from her to her friends, and then back and forth, and it will, like, alternate pretty quickly. To where, like, she... Yeah, from, like, yep. seeing the creature to not yeah, seeing the creature. Yeah, so good, like, where she'll be running and her friends are chasing after her and you see the creature walking and then it switches yeah. quickly wow. back to their point of view and the creature's gone and they're just, like, fucking confused as to what she's doing and where she's going and wondering yeah. why or, like, when it will show, like... It will show, like... At the beach house yeah. where she's shooting with a gun and then she's nothing. shooting at nothing. But when we see her point of view, she's shooting she's at the creature. That, and, she, oh. and then it even alternates yeah. back like at other points to show just like a blood spray. That That's what they're seeing. They're only seeing this like blood spray or this chair being thrown or like fucking TVs getting tossed. Shit like that. It's so great the way it alternates back and forth between that because it just keeps you completely unsettled the whole time. 100% agree. We're not going to give away yeah. the ending. All I'm going to say about the ending, chef's kiss. As our friend Petros from the uh, Caged In podcast would say when we were on his show, when he was on our podcast a while back, it was a chef kiss ending. It is fantastic. Leaves it open, but yet kind of doesn't leave it open. Please, 
please, please, please, if you haven't heard in the last hour plus, almost hour and a half of us talking about this movie, please, 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 during Halloween, see this fucking movie. You are going to fucking, fucking love it. Oh my God. I just walked in the room. It's right there. It's here? Right there. Jay, what do you see? I don't want to tell you. Jay, I, I need you to point at it, okay? Keep your finger aimed at it so we can see where it is. Is it getting in the water? It's just standing there staring at me. It's moving. What's it doing? It's walking. It's just walking. Paul, I want to get out. No, just wait for it to get in. No, I don't want to do this. I just want to get out. What the fuck? In this week's lists, we are going to do the five best directorial debuts, as this was the directorial debut of our three named <laughs> uh, director, Mr. David Robert Mitchell. This was his directorial debut. So how we've been doing this is on the odd episodes, being an odd episode, Matt goes first. I will then finish and then start the next list, and Matt will finish it out. So Matt, you are going to go ahead and start us with your five best directorial debuts. All right. Yeah. Well, this one was a, uh, it was a very fun list to come up with, uh, but there is it a is vast, crazy how many, a vast I, amount I had to leave off. Like it was like, oh my God. I just started picking my favorites yeah. and not even like, some of the this, best. These lists. Yeah, exactly. That's what, these are like just some of my off the top of the head favorites because I just was looking and looking, looking. It's like, there's so many directors that have came out and just straight knocked a fucking grand slam out of the park on their first film. And it's amazing. That will start me into it. With 1976, David Lynch, Eraserhead. Great choice. Fucked Great up. Choice. Crazy fucking movie. Amazing. I can't, there's nothing really I could say that could spoil this film for anybody. It's fucked up. It's fun. It's industrial and just shot beautifully it has some of the creepiest scenes some of the greatest songs of my of that i love so much in heaven everything will be fine by the girl in the radiator i fucking i i love david lynch and i love eraserhead it was the it was the first time i ever seen a david lynch film uh was eraserhead in probably the start of college no i take that back it, this would have been the second first film i ever seen from him was mahal and drive and then this was in college that I first watched this. And I've loved it ever since then. I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I was surprised when I seen that this was his debut. Because I don't know why. For some reason, I thought actually uh, The Elephant Man was. But it's not. This was his uh, debut. And that leads me to uh, my number four being a movie that I just seen for the first time this summer that I didn't even know was a directorial debut from 1968 Targets hmm. from Peter... Badanovich, fantastic fucking movie. Over the summer of just watching so many movies and finding all these deep cuts of films uh, that I'd never seen before. Um, Was that one of the movies that Tarantino movie. talked about on his? Yeah, that, that I thought so because he had a ton of yeah. movies he talked about 
on that when he was on the podcast for the uh, Beverly Cinema. Yeah, on uh, Pure Cinema podcast, so good. Yeah, it was. This is by far like this was like my greatest suggestion, Tarantino film suggestion. It is such a good movie. It's a, about uh, two parallel storylines uh, converging to this film climax of uh, this wholesome, normal seeming man that goes on this killing spree. Uh, and Boris Karloff playing himself, pretty much playing this uh, horror actor. And it's very like a semi-biographical, autobiographical <laughs> role for him. And it, he was all for it. He was all gung-ho about it. But it is fucking great. Um, there's like some truth behind, I think, uh, the character played by uh, Tim O'Kelly that goes on this killing spree based on a possible, uh, I think, a sniper scenario that happened uh, back around that time. I don't know if it was loosely based off the Texas uh, sniper from the bell tower there. But it possibly could be slightly inspired by that. But it is a great fucking film. And I had no fucking clue it was a directorial debut until probably like two and a half hours ago. Love it. That's my number four. My uh, number three is the amazing, amazing directorial and writing directorial debut by Mr. Ari Aster for Hereditary. That was when Ari came through and said, what's up, guys? I'm here. I'm making horror movies, and I'm going to change the way you fucking feel about horror movies going forward. Well, he definitely, I mean, he that's a huge psychological thriller. I, again, it's it's such so a vein, and I feel like because of this movie, it follows. Without the success and the sudden push towards this, maybe that movie doesn't get as well received as, as it is. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, it, it, it helped, you know, this was, you know, David feel like he kind of went off. I think his hype was so big from this, uh, it led him into like a, a territory where he made another film that was good, but you know, he didn't stick with Ari has done and Robert Eggers have done is staying kind of staying in their comfort zone and continuing to push the boundaries using what they know that they're really good at because Ari started here with hereditary and then followed up with midsummer and he's just fantastic at horror with like melodramatic elements and psychological elements in it and it's just great like literally hereditary is is, could be a two-part film the first half of hereditary could literally just be a family drama and the second half could be a paranormal horror film it's literally two two separate parts uh, completely like you could literally have had an intermission at, at midway point of that film and it's fantastic i watched a couple of his short films and you could see a lot of his growth in writing and his fear not to bring up and talk about very odd subjects or put his actors and actresses in awkward situations uh, there's a very very creepy short film called the strange things about the robinson family. get a chance to watch it it's like maybe 20 minutes long i think you can find it on youtube or, or uh, um if you just search it uh with ari Esther's name you can find the full length somewhere uh, but it is a creepy fucking story just about a family and some sexual abuse and it's so real and it's a gut punch and the weird thing was is when i was originally shown this I was like, the person was shocked that I never had heard of this. And they started playing it for me. And I'm watching it. 
And I'm like, wow, this is framed and shot so fucking well. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, this this person like has something going for them here. Like, I get like you're showing me this for the shock value of the story. That's what sucked you in, but I'm watching it and I'm seeing that this is shot and the camera work is fantastic and the framing of all these scenes is great. And then at the end of it, it says written and directed by Ariaster, and it blew me away. Back then, I was like, holy shit, no wonder why he was able to come out with such a powerful directorial debut as Hereditary and get Pony Collette to do one of the greatest of her many performances in her still ongoing career. It's fantastic. Yeah, she she deserved an Oscar. Yeah, she she did. She got snubbed out so hard. It was fucking absolute bullshit. There's no reason that she shouldn't have been nominated outside of the fact that we know the Academy is scared to nominate actresses in horror films. And even then, you know, just last year they did that with Miss Florence Pugh. Should have had a nomination for Midsommar, again, another Ari Aster film. And instead, they nominated her for a supporting role in a great film in Little Women uh, from Greta Gerwig. Because, of course, that to them is a safe bet where they might offend some people if they select this insane powerhouse performance that she does just like Tony does in Hereditary. It's insane. That will bring me into my number two here, which uh, technically kind of is two films, but we we won't get into it. So I'll just go with the directorial debut of this film, <laughs> The Evil Dead from 1981 from Sam Raimi. Uh, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi, what the fuck's wrong with me? So sorry, <laughs> Sam Raimi. It's all because of Spider-Man 3. You fucked me up. But yeah. I fucking love Evil Dead. It is so fucking good. I could watch that movie every fucking day. It's got the great Bruce Campbell yeah, in it. Dude, I, mean, I fucking on. love Bruce Campbell. The, like the fact that back then, like literally, they had Bruce act in this film because he was the best looking of their crew of college <laughs> like friends out of Sam and uh, his brother Ivan. All of them. He was the good-looking one, so like, hey, we're gonna, you're gonna be the star of this film, and that they just shot it like on the weekends, and it's one of the biggest cult horror films now of all time. And then, arguably, the the the, the joke I was making towards that is the fact that Evil Dead Two is literally let's make Evil Dead with (laughs) with a bigger budget now, and and they did it, and I love them both. I I equally match the two of them uh, because they really are. It's like. One is just like the shoestring college budget. Two is, holy shit, we need to give Sam Raimi some fucking money to make a movie. And that will bring me to my number one, to our Lord and Savior, Mr. Quentin Tarantino, (laughs) with Reservoir Dogs, one of the greatest directorial debuts of all time. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Like, hands down. I'm sure we'll hit it, maybe. I don't know if we'll ever hit it on this podcast. If we did, I think we're doing a disservice (laughs) to you. Because if you haven't haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, I think we said this in episode one. Like, go fuck yourself. Watch Reservoir Dogs. So fucking good. I I know. I don't know how you... I mean, there's certain Tarantino movies that will make this. Obviously, our very first podcast episode was Tarantino, a movie that we didn't think a lot of people saw. I think there's like two more that we'll probably hit. I'm not going to give them up now. Yeah. But... Reservoir Dogs is not one. I got, I got one in my mind, that. and it's a definite yeah, sleeper. Two, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'll uh, pass it off to you. I can't wait to hear your list. I, well, I'm excited about that because we actually have two similar, and we both have then. So there's three different ones we both have. So for me, and this was tough because I haven't looked up some, and like 
I think one of the ones we were leaving off, and I did anyways because it's considered uh, a classic. Is Citizen Kane? Yeah, it was Orson Welles' first, and one. It's considered the greatest movie ever made. I don't think so, but it's considered by many to be the greatest movie ever made, and it won an Academy Award right out the gates. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But it didn't make my list, so I just thought I'd throw that as an honorable. Hey, we didn't pick this one. Yeah, no, I, I actually seen that too when doing research. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the best movie yeah. ever made. <laughs> so my number five is to me, it's. If not his best, it's one of his best, maybe second best. But I love Bottle Rocket by Wes Anderson. Great movie. Bottle Rocket to me is fucking amazing. What I love about it is it's Wes Anderson before he became Wes Anderson, where he has a lot of the same stuff that happens in his movies. He's got a a tone, a style, uh, a look, a palette that he always goes for. The actors are a certain way. But in Bottle Rocket, it wasn't like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Bottle Rocket feels... It definitely feels like a Wes Anderson movie, yeah. but it doesn't feel like a modern day Wes no, Anderson movie. No, not at all. And I love it. Absolutely love that movie. It is great. One of my favorite scenes is when they're doing the heist and that old Indian guy is in the freezer <laughs> and he's supposed to be this expert safe cracker. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Did, <laughs> and he's like, oh, he goes, I'm, I'm just out of my, uh, I forgot. He's like, I'm out of my league or whatever he says. He goes, did you ever have a league? Like, I just love that. So <laughs> just everything goes, it's the biggest fuck up ever. And I just really, really love that movie. It's so funny. It's so well done. Great acting in it by the brothers. And what I just, you know, it was my introduction to Wes Anderson and it led me to see Rushmore after that, which to me is my favorite of his movies. Um, But that's my number five. Number four, this movie was up for a movie of the year as well, which is stunning that this would be a person's first, but it's Shawshank Redemption by Frank Darabont. It made our prison movie list a couple weeks back, and it makes it for me again because I absolutely love this movie. It was my number one for that, and it's an amazing directorial debut. Like, I look, went back and looked, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, "Oh my god, I can't!" I forgot this was his directorial debut, and it's just, it's unbelievable. It's just an unbelievable movie, and that in Pulp Fiction should have won the movie of the year, not freaking Forrest Gump. Oh god, Jesus! The two biggest bullshit wins have been Forrest Gump. And then uh, Shakespeare, uh, was it? Uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare and, and fucking love garbage. Shakespeare and love better than saving yeah, private Ryan. Garbage. Fuck yourself Trash. seven times sideway. Hey, little do we know now the reason why <laughs> it won was because Harvey Weinstein was uh, fucking touching uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and, uh, inappropriately and getting threatened by Brad Pitt. Fucking piece of shit. That being said, number four, though, is Shawshank Redemption. And it, I mean, we said it in our second so podcast. Good. You have to see it. If you haven't seen it. At this point, I, you know, I don't know what to do for it. I don't. <laughs> That'll lead me to number three, which I think a lot of people have seen this because it, as we were talking about horror, it is really, really, one, been a refreshing um, take and uh, refreshing storytelling. And finally, to have a black director have such, a, a, you know, a be, finally black voices to really start to be pushed for the front and not just like a one movie year, but Jordan Peele's Get Out. Holy fuck did I love that movie. Holy fuck is that an amazing movie. Such a great movie. You want to talk about mental horror. So good. Given given the, the current climate, without turning this into any kind of political thing, but given the mm-hmm. current climate that we live in in 2020, to watch Get Out from that perspective, it really turns a mirror on things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it is such a haunting, haunting movie to see what it's like from the perspective of, uh, of this black gentleman in it. And man. So oh, unsettling. It's, it's just so good. It's so good. Oh, so unsettling. Kudos to you. Good pick there. It, well, it's great because it's unsettling for the white audience watching yep. it. It really is. It really 
if you're not a piece of shit, it really makes you feel like fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine it being like this almost surreal yeah. reliving experience to what it's like to be a black yeah. person in America. Too and, real, man, too real it, experience. Oh, yes, yes. Such a great movie. That brings me to my number two, which is your number one, and it's Reservoir Dogs by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, what more do we need to say? It's Reservoir Fucking Dogs. If you haven't seen it, this is the 900th time we'll talk about it. <laughs> Go fucking see the movie. I mean, come on. It's Reservoir Dogs. It's one of those movies that need to be seen. You just have to see it, especially if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan. If you're a Tarantino fan and haven't seen it, then you're not a Tarantino exactly. fan. Exactly. I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that'll lead me to my number one, which was a toss-up between which one of these I pick. And the reason I put Hereditary by Ari Aster number one is because I love mental horror and it fucked me up. Yeah. This fucked me up more than It Follows did. This movie has got so much. Tony Collette's performance, every actor, actress in this movie is amazing. The, just, I mean, the way it's shot, it's got Hitchcock feel to it. It's got um, the Shining feel. There's just so much yeah. that just, it creeps you. Like, it gets into your bones. It is. And just absolutely roots it out, and it just fucks with you. Anxiety It fucks with you all the time. Oh, my God. And I love it. It's, oh, I loved it when I saw it in the theater. I loved it when I saw it again. It's one of those movies, like, you want to watch it, but then you don't want to yeah. watch it again. It causes so much anxiety. Yeah. So much, like, dread and fright. You're like, oh. It, it's great because it mentally fucks you. There's no real great jump scares. No. There's no just, You just fucked with it the entire time. Yeah. The entire yeah, time. Yeah, you're just getting toyed with it. it, it was, oh, my God, yeah. I'll, I'll add in here. Yeah, it's so good. I've seen it on opening night, and then I actually went and seen it about two, three weeks later. So I've seen it twice in theaters when it was out, and it was so, so fucking good. I'm going to just mention now, and then I'll ask you. So the most anxiety-inducing scene for me on my first watch is the party scene peanut allergy when she's just walking around the house and she's drinking water and she's like can't breathe and she's noticing her throat like i literally i was sitting in one of the recliners in a cinema so i can't get up but all i wanted to do (laughs) was get up and just start pacing the aisle because i was just like i had literally never uh like been so fucking freaked out and that's how good he is at directing like this is just Real horror. Yeah. Allergy. Her, her miniatures, the miniatures are fucking freaky too. Yeah. Though I've never been, never seen a miniature place that put together, which creeped me the fuck out. When her mom, she has the mom doll figure sitting there. Oh, yeah. I, I thought the thing was going to come to life like seven times. Yeah. It's so good. So fucking good. Like when you can take like a, a real, a real everyday occurrence of someone having an allergic reaction and make it into a haunting, terrifying scene. It that's just shows how, how much control you have of the situation that you're making. Oh, he took it to a haunting scene and then fucking <laughs> amped it up with the way that scene eventually ends. Yeah. Ugh, yep. so much great about it. So those are our list of top fives for best directorial debuts. Clearly, if you haven't heard us, we really recommend you seeing these as well. But now we usually then move on to our top five list of like an actor or something. So in this movie, we've I've truly feel, I think Matt did as well, that the city of Detroit itself was a character of this movie. It really added to the dread and uh, anxiety-inducing that you see when you watch this movie. So we decided to pick our five favorite movies that are set in the city of Detroit, the Motor City. And since uh, Matt went first last time, I will go first and Matt will close this out. For me, number five, and I love this movie. 
It's very funny. It's based on true story, apparently, kind of. <laughs> I, Tanya. I oh, yeah. love Great movie. I, Tanya. The basically video representation biography of Tanya Harding and the whole, her life is, is in skating and all the stuff that went on in the late 90s or mid 90s. And it was just amazing. I really, really loved it. Uh, it was, it's very funny. Allison Janney won Best Supporting Actress for her uh, portrayal of T- uh, Tanya Harding's mom. She is fucking fantastic in it. What a cunt. Holy cow, is she good in it. And I highly suggest it, especially if you're a child who, or a person who grew up and remembers that whole fiasco of the 1992 or 94 Winter Olympics when Tanya Harding <laughs> hired somebody to club Nancy Kerrigan's knee before the Olympics. It's fantastic. It's such a great story and kind of heartbreaking to see what this poor girl Tanya Harding had to go through. My number four, it's a great movie for the times about how people who perceive other people a certain way, if you just get to know them, your perceptions can change, even for an old motherfucker, but Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood. I really, really like that movie. I almost, I almost had that on mine. It's so good. It's such a good movie. He does such a great job in it. And it really is a heartwarming story. And you really get to see an old, grizzled, bigoted bastard really soften and start to change his ways because he starts to realize that what he perceived of people were not his real true uh, perceptions. So it's a great movie, especially given that it's Clint Eastwood in it. Number three, I feel like has to be on your list, but it might not be. But as a child of the 80s, this has to be on there for me. And that's motherfucking RoboCop. All right. Oh, man. It almost it almost made it on mine. It didn't. <laughs> RoboCop, number one, not the others. RoboCop. Fucking love RoboCop. Obviously, I'm a child of the 80s. I fucking love RoboCop. RoboCop is amazing. I feel like we might do it on this podcast only because I feel like we should do some maybe flashback ones because I don't know that everyone who will listen may even know some of these older movies like from the 80s, you know, especially like a RoboCop, although you've had to have heard of it. So if you haven't, if you really just enjoy, uh, uh, if you love 80s movies, you're going to love RoboCop. You definitely, you definitely only heard about the part where he shoots a man in the dick. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. But it's so good. It's such a great movie. He really, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's great. I, it's just a fantastic 80s movie. That'll bring me to number two. And I thoroughly enjoy this movie. Um, Steven Soderbergh is the director, and it has a real Quentin Tarantino feel to it, but a vibe, I should say. But it's definitely not a Tarantino ripoff. And it's uh, my favorite Jennifer Lopez movie. It also stars Mr. Ving Rhames and also Mr. George Clooney. And that is Out of Sight. I love out of sight. Uh, a great heist movie. It's based off of a book by uh, Elmore Leonard, which I've actually read the book. It does a great job of keeping up with the book. Steven Soderbergh is a fantastic director, and this movie, I it probably will make this podcast because clearly I don't think a lot of people have seen it. If you want to see Jennifer Lopez at her top of her game and you want to see some really great on screen chemistry, her and George Clooney as this cat and mouse uh, burglar or escaped convict slash uh, U.S. Marshal trying to chase him down. You're going to love this movie. I, it's just, it's pitch perfect in my opinion. It's got a lot of great moments in it. Um, and I truly, truly, really do enjoy this movie. That almost, that me to that almost made my list yeah. also. Really? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that it did make this. Yeah. That means we'll have at least four different yeah. ones. Because I know we both have this one and it might be number one for both of us. But for me, it is written by Mr. Quentin Tarantino. It is directed by Mr. Tony Scott, and it is Tony Scott's best movie, in my opinion. I know they will say, oh, it's Top Gun. No, it's not Top Gun. It's this one. And it stars the great Christian Slater and Mrs. Patricia Arquette in true romance. I love, 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 love 
true romance, the, especially the settings when it's in um, when it's in Detroit before they get to L.A. It's Samuel Jackson makes a cameo in it in his early in his career. Gary Oldman as this this black appropriating um, drug dealer named Drexel. An amazing scene between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. Ah, uh, the whole time that's in Detroit is really some of the best parts of it. And I absolutely love True Romance. It's an amazing movie. Quentin Tarantino did an amazing job writing this. He wrote this, and it came out right after Reservoir Dogs. The directing of Tony Scott is phenomenal. I This is, to me, his best movie he ever did. And I absolutely, 100% love True Romance. And if you get a chance to watch it, you want to watch the director's cut. It is the best version. And I will now pass on the five best movies set in Detroit to Mr. LaPlante. And I have a feeling that four of his are different, but one of them is the same. Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty close. I'm just going to pause for one second. And thank you for listening. That was Matt's quick list. Uh, pause for one second. It's a great movie in Detroit. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> I had to light a cigarette, so I had to mute it. I don't want to light one on the air. Mm. So this guy, this guy decides that while I'm talking, he's not going to smoke. When it's his turn to talk, he's got to smoke. <laughs> I was doing. He, you, I was, I, you, I was, you would was, pass along was, this disease poorly. To you, you would die. Just to you, you would die from this disease because you would I'd, fuck I'd, it up I'd, and I'd just be calling Heather, be like, Heather, is, is Scott dead yet? Oh yeah, he's dead. Oh fuck. Uh, oh, I gotta go. You'd be I gotta dead go. first. I gotta uh, go. You would pass it to me, hoping that I would keep you alive because you just. <laughs> Showed you fucking up big time. Hell yeah. Oh my god. All right. So yeah, that brings me to actually the same year that this was made with my first pick uh for number five, uh being the twenty uh fourteen uh directorial debut of Ryan Gosling with Lost River. It goes again uh with the city being a character. He filmed it in Detroit uh because of the rapid crumbling of Detroit's neighborhoods. It's a good uh, directorial debut. I'm not going to say it's a great directorial debut. Uh, it was extremely booed at Cannes. It's a fun movie to watch, but for the way that he takes this city and builds it into this home for his characters, it's fantastic. And that's why it's my number five there, because it just really does. It, it, it Again, like with It Follows, you know, the city being a pretty much a character in the film, because you really don't know like the way that they're transitioning through all these different places uh, that they're going to, that they're being chased in during the movie. It really does. It makes the, the area that they live in a whole nother living, breathing character with them. Uh, that will bring me to my number four, which is uh, Catherine Bigelow's 2017 Detroit. I feel like it's a very underwatched movie. Very good. Uh, very good movie. And that of course is all about the 12th street riots everything that happened uh, during that insane period of time in Detroit uh, with the police and uh, with the military coming in there during these riots. and Feels like it's modern day, right? It, it, it does. It's very, very fitting for now. I believe it's on Hulu if you get a chance watch that movie. I feel like the year it came out, it got snubbed out. It should have been definitely nominated for some Oscars for this because it was a great fucking film for her. But again, at the time, I think it was just too tough for certain white people to watch. So it didn't uh, get seen enough. Snowflakes. Yeah, really. Uh, they really are. Like, Watch this shit and you'll know why we are still burning shit today. It's because this shit's been going on since long before 1967. 
And like, it's a prime example of exactly why we're in the situation that we are in right now. On a lighter note, that will lead me into number three, being the 2013 film from Jim Jamerson, uh, the vampire drama uh, starring uh, <laughs> Tim uh, Tom uh, Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton as two ancient bloodsuckers and only lovers left alive. Um, they live in this gorgeous Victorian mansion in Detroit, and he just plays guitar and makes music. And it's an awesome Jim movie. It's so good. I fucking really, really love that movie. Again, I feel like it's, it's one of his uh, underrated movies because even I think that he followed this up with Patterson. Uh, and Patterson's fantastic also, but I really, really, really loved Only Lovers Left Alive. Very good choice. I, I can't disagree. Did you set yourself on fire with your cigarette? What's going on? Sorry. No, I accidentally hit mute. That will bring me into my number two, which was actually a surprise for me. And it became an instant battle with number one. Uh, that I didn't know that this movie was shot in Detroit. And now it totally makes sense for its uh, noir, rainy setting is the great 1994 film the crow fantastic great fucking movie another movie like where all these movies are using the city of detroit with the exception of detroit all these other films are using it to set a tone to build like these characters and to build these stories backstories to these characters in this setting and the crow sets it up perfectly because you know it's always raining it's just dark and dilapidated. What about the crow too? <laughs> Fuck the crow too. <laughs> you have the same reaction as I do about uh, uh, Escape from L.A. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fuck, fuck number two. Who the fuck was in number two? Was like it was know, awful, no, and I think uh, Ziggy Pop was in it too, and it was terrible. He was awful in it. Don't make a sequel to a movie if your lead actor died. Just pay him some motherfucking respect. Like Brandon Lee, gone too soon. Dude was on par to be just like his fucking father who also was died a very young untimely death but that will bring me into our, my match with you for number one the first section of true romance taking place in detroit it is great it's probably the first film i ever seen that took place in detroit for the first section and it's fantastic the characters that we get out of detroit are of course we get <laughs> mr clarence in alabama and we get fucking Gary Ullman playing the black guy, <laughs> the white guy that thinks he's black. And that literally, they even they even say that to him. We also get the our only scene from the amazing Sicilian, played by Christopher Walken. Such a good movie. Such good role. Yeah. And a great one of the greatest blow-to-blow, passive-aggressive arguments about the about the or about the origins of sicilians i won't even get into it but oh man we, yeah, we can't talk about it on this podcast yeah. that part we're gonna probably go to that movie but we just can't talk about what's gonna happen no yeah we we won't but yeah if if, if there's any more of a badass way to just tell somebody to go fuck themselves it's the way that Dennis Hopper tells him to go fuck himself. And it's fucking great. And then just in the short moments that you get of uh, Christopher Walken's character there, you see so much, <laughs> you know, just in little tiny like clues that he says. Like, it's, it's amazing. I fucking love True Romance. Like, just recently rewatched it on fucking VHS. That's how much I fucking like it. And then guess what? It was the director's. It was the director's version on VHS. It has to be. It, it, otherwise, you're watching the wrong one. I, I, the director's is the best. It has to it's be. Such, it's so good. 
So much so that I don't even remember the regular version. I've not seen it since maybe the theater. So no, neither do I. Because I think I think the only, the first time I seen it was when I bought the director's cut version that had the tattoos on yeah, the cover. Yeah, I know of what it. you mean. Yeah, yeah, on DVD. I think that's the only only time I ever watched it was that. And then outside of that, of course, watching it digitally and stuff like that, it's always been director's cut. And now, do I got a piece of uh, history with it on VHS director's <laughs> cut? Talk to me in five dollars on VHS. Five dollars. <laughs> Hey, what more can we say? Go watch these fucking movies already. Watch this or die. And that will do it for this week's installment. We'd like to thank you again for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now, we hope you will enjoy it as much as we have. So please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platform. Now, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Feel free to DM us your thoughts on this week's movie, give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, or even suggest some movies to us. You can also email us at WatchThisOrDiePodcast at gmail.com. Now, we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always... I'm Scott Crowshire. And I'm at the plant. Until next time, watch this or die.